When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Foundation and Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Foundation on Apple TV+. This week, we're covering Season 1, Episode 6, Death and the Maiden. Respect and enjoy the podcast. Uh, Aaron, I, I don't know how much I have to say about this episode. It's, it's a lot action, uh, a lot more action heavy than the previous episodes. So I feel like it's not as much to talk about. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of plot happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I still had a lot of pages of notes. Uh, what what did you what did you think of this episode? Uh, I mostly like this episode. Uh, we get a little bit back to the Empire here, and those are kind of the most thrilling parts for me. You know, the mm-hmm. pew pew shootout stuff is fun, but not exactly what I'm in this for. Uh, however, it, religious leaders trying to usurp power from the the imperial leader. Hell yeah, sign me up. Uh, th- those scenes are awesome. Um, yeah, I like that stuff. Um, I was a little taken back that we we got right back on Gale, and then we went right back away for an entire episode. Um, oh, I really, yeah. I really. There's so many, and and there's not there's not nothing as far as those developments, but all the developments mm-hmm. seem to be at odds with what we learned last episode too. Like, which is kind of interesting. I, I was jaw dropped pants chat when I found out that Raish himself called an audible on top of the Harry Seldon audible like a bad time to be calling audibles yeah when you're a spiritual leader just (laughs) and then this this man has a nerve to look at the camera and say trust the plan Mm -hmm. man you Mm -hmm. can't you're wiping your ass with the plan so I um we need we need Gail I feel like uh, like this episode my take from this episode is we need Gail's hand on that wheel to violently jerk it back onto the path of thousand year dark ages or the whole thing's going to yeah. be for naught. No, I talked in the feedback episode last week um, or that we just released. I, I don't know. It's all out of order, but I talked in that episode. Time's about a flat circle. How Gale might be like the guiding force, the corrective force for the plan going forward. And that seems to make a lot of sense because she's the only other one who could interpret psycho history the way that Harry could. Yeah. Um, and now that we know she's sort of headed to Harry's home world, it's, you know, it's starting to make a little bit more sense that she'd be the guiding force going forward. And the Anacreon stuff seems to be mapping a little bit more neatly onto some of the plots that I vaguely remember happening from the books. Like I remember the Salver Harden being put in a similar predicament as far as like staffing and repairing a a derelict uh, warship of some kind that was going to perhaps threaten the balance of power and the outer wilds here. Um, So like I can see a little bit, but like as that crystallizes, I feel like the whole Harry foundation psycho history plot is just evaporating to mist. Yeah. And then, you know, like that's the other thing. It's like we we just uh, multiple people talking about, you know, are the are is the Empire OK? Mm-hmm. Um, we got our answer. The Empire is not OK. Mm-hmm. We have a colorblind emperor, which either the first 13 Cleons had such massive hubris that they kept this condition from literally everyone 
including including their uh, latest clone or we have a defect in 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 a clone and i also saw a couple other th- signs in this episode where maybe the empire isn't okay like there's a certain eye twitch to lee pace's eye in a particular scene that like mm-hmm. you know i don't remember the empire having spasms like uncontrollable eye spasms before so we I- might have a madness of King George situation on her hand in a few generations. We could. Yeah. Dusk was, was displaying, let's say symptoms of some kind of mental duress, um, mental something happening. Uh, last, last episode, three episodes ago. Yeah. Before he got incinerated. Um, I love the idea that, Cleon the painter would have been colorblind and just refusing to tell anyone. He's just throwing shit up on the wall. He doesn't know what he's putting up there. This could be pink. This could be black. I don't fucking the work know. Of, the work of Cleon the 13 was widely considered psychedelic and uh... right. painted apples with greens and, and, and oranges and yellows. I don't know why. He's uh, clearly, clearly uh, subversive in his use of art and, and, and uh, his use of color and shadow in his art. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's why nobody's chosen to be the painter. <laughs> they chose sculptors and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. It's, it's, it's a lot. It, it feels like, um, this feels like one of those, the transition episodes where they're trying to position where the next push is going to happen. You yeah. know, like, okay, well we had this interesting thing happen on terminus. How do we get them off of terminus and propel the plot forward? We've got this kind of detent amongst the emperors. How are we going to break it? You know, we got, um, there's there's so much scheming in this episode. Brother Dusk has some kind of scheme. Brother Dawn mm-hmm. has some kind of scheme. Brother Day is floundering on the 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 second largest stage in the galaxy. Like yeah. there is we and some of it's good. Like I, I actually like the Empire, the the Dusk and Dawn stuff. Um, the Day stuff felt a little bit shorthand. You know, hmm. like you like like uh. Yeah, it's it's weird to see like a political plan, like like a West Wing uh, or uh, House of Cards, like smoke filled, dark back room corridor kind of conversation happen in like the middle of a big throng of people where it's mm-hmm. like, uh, well, what's the political stakes here? Well, here's well, you know, we can't do we got no drinking water. All right. M- giant moon desalination plant done, mm-hmm. done. 30 seconds. We got this. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then. uh that plan that seemed like ironclad is just completely undone by uh, a Kanye West move on behalf of <laughs> Zephyr Colleen or whatever her name is. She's like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to, I'm going to let you finish here, but I just want to say the empire's got no soul. Mm-hmm. We all got souls and God tells us we should rise up against the soulless drops the mic and out. So it's like <laughs> that. I don't know. It felt like there, there could have been a little bit more room to breathe from all those machinations, but uh, the show's I mean, got some place it wants to be. So yeah, when you when you summarize it like that, it sounds ridiculous. I, I quite enjoyed that part of the episode. I was, you know, I I just felt the impotency of of the emperor here of day right. Um, yeah, in those scenes, like he's standing there. What can he do? Because he's not he's not a guy who can deliver off the cuff inspiring speeches to his people he doesn't fucking talk to his people he's probably never met one of his people he's stuffed up in his palace all day and if he doesn't have the formalities of 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 tradition and 
you know, the, these this pomp and circumstance, he doesn't know how to behave. So, like, that's the thing. It's not that he doesn't know how to talk here. to people. It's not that he doesn't know how to talk to people. It's that he doesn't know how to talk to people out of his element. And we've been told and in doesn't the know how to inspire history, people. In the 400 year history of the empire, no day has ever set off a terminus. Right. So, like, they literally, he, he literally has no experience, you know, trying to do something without the full force of the triune godhead and the whole court retainers and all of his imperial stormtroopers and all this other. He has no idea how to do that. Like, without a reception, without throngs to work right. with, he's kind of adrift. And, and without I, I deference cool. to him, I, I think that's the other thing he's so accustomed to, right? Is that everyone is yes. going to be looking to him to lead this. And when someone else takes the lead, he. I would have liked to maybe see him try to respond to this in some way, try to, you know, cut Halima's knees out from under her in this speech and then just get totally steamrolled. But it, I don't know the the way when I was watching it, I was just like, boy, he is really just completely impotent in this moment. And it's kind of kind of awesome. But I I, I don't know. Do I do I like Halima? I don't know enough about that, her yet. They there also are still did a good job. Marks. They also did a good job of showing that he just like this whole deal where, you know, um, Demerzel comes off to the side stage and whispers a few like, OK, these people use arrows and there's platinum in them. And you need to like without, you know, that kind of and, and this managed presence where it's like, OK, you're going to have an audience for a minute and off like real time dealing with this complicated religious homily that's being given right he has no because he hasn't understand a religion enough to know what she's saying and how to turn the words the way and for some reason her his guy her his gal just is no better than him like she has no idea how to take control over this person that just comes and snatches the mic out of her hand like she's kind of trails off like okay go off you know Mm -hmm. uh it was it was it was wild to see the Empire that completely helpless to do anything about the situation. Yeah, I really enjoyed that stuff. And, and I'm I'm excited to see what happens going forward with the uh, Terminus. You know, if, it, if I don't know, <laughs> the, the, the tension there has been ratcheted up so much that. Yeah, it, I don't know how Terminus escapes some kind of wrath um, that just destroys them. Right. I mean. I, I guess the natural way out here is right. that Farah and her people are killed and and, you know, uh, Salvor and Hugo win the day. We're, we're on a bad run of science fiction shows depicting scenarios where I have no idea how fucked up things are like the expanse. How, how fucked mm. up is Earth? I still don't really know. Coming out of season going out of yeah. season five into season six, Walking Dead. How fucked up is Alexandria? Like, I kind of know now, but like, and then, then with this foundation, how fucked up is the outpost on Terminus? Like, are 90% of people dead? Are 50% of them dead? The bomb that went off at their energy source vent, is that like, are, are, are are they doomed now? (laughs) Right. They just said like at the beginning of that, that, Hey, they're trying to blow this area up. And if they do, we're done. And then they end up blowing it up in an effort to, destroy the ship so i yeah it seems like they accomplished yeah, their mission like, for them but but maybe you had to have a precise placement of the explosives to maybe. pull that off and, and you didn't and only know, one the of them went off and sort of, Jeez. that's the thing that like i'm like when it first happened i'm like oh fuck you missed the corvettes but you did take out the army 
<laughs> and then the land turned to lava and just consumed the Corvettes. And I like, well, right. that's got to But it looked like their installment, the little little, I don't know, pipeline thing they had was left intact. So okay. maybe they can still. So I, that's the thing. It's like, I don't know what it is in the water that the uh, showrunners are just afraid to, to outright state. Or maybe they think they're telling, you know, like uh, that the, the earth is either fucked or fine or. Mm-hmm. Alexander is fucked or fine, but I, I had that's the big question. Like I thought they told me the story that kind of Terminus is fucked, but let yet it ended in a note of hope that like, hey, if we can mm-hmm. just get these crazy people what they want or maneuver them, uh, we'll be back and everything will be right. Um, and I, I, even though they've lost, like they showed so many Terminus people mm-hmm. being gunned down in the last few episodes. Yeah, I didn't get a good sense of the scale of Terminus uh, up till now. I don't know if it was a thousand people or a hundred people. Right. And so, you know, they could fudge those numbers a little bit for me and I'd be fine. And I think the important part here is to remember that their goal is not to kill everyone at Terminus. Their goal is to get something specific. And the more people they kill willy nilly beforehand, the higher the chance that they're murdering engineers that they desperately need. Right. So they would have an incentive not to kill a lot of people. And I think. That's the thing that we didn't really realize when they rushed at Terminus last episode and were firing off like stormtroopers hitting nothing is they probably don't want to indiscriminately murder people here. They need they these people. Don't they because need because they need to manifest. People. Yeah. But on the other hand, like, why are they indiscriminately murdering at all? Because like, what if they just happen to shoot well, the three people who are indiscriminate murdering is going to be required, you know, some you of it, but like, what if you, these people. <laughs> I get you. But, but what if you killed all three of the hyperspace navigators that you need or, you know, you, you yeah. killed the only quantum engineer that worked on an imperial jump drive system. It's like that's where it's like I felt like my first instinct for the last episode where like uh, the the shock troopers of the Anacreons were just deliberately like either using disruptor fire. That's the other thing they could have done. They they could have just been using disruptors to like knock people out and, and intimidate mm-hmm. them rather than kill them. Uh, but it turns out, no, in the first charge, they just can't hit shit. They have to be within three foot range. They have to be within execution range to kill people. And then, boy, whew, they go to work killing people once they get into that range. Men, women, children is indiscriminate. I mean, you can kill children. Um, that's fine. Uh, they're that's not going to be engineers, none of them, right? Yeah. None of them are smart enough to know or strong enough to hold a hydro spanner. Sure. <laughs> right. Children. So children fine, are totally expendable. The full grown women and men. Yeah. Leave them fuckers alone. Yeah. But uh yeah, we'll have to we'll have to see uh, what the, what the plan going forward with that is. Um, real quick before we get into the episode, uh, by the time you're hearing this, we should have be recording or have recorded our conversation with David Boyer. Uh, that will be out early next week. I'm not sure what the day it is. Depends on uh, Jim's workload. Unless you want to chime in and just call your shot here. Oh, I don't know. We'll we'll talk about it. Uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be it'll be early either before or after the feedback episode for next week. Um, so and it should since we've seen this before, it should contain information up to this episode. So it won't be like stale week old information. So uh, but yeah, we haven't forgotten about that. We have again. I'm kind of predicting the future, <laughs> but we will have compiled your questions and, and have been talking to him and, and we'll get that episode out as a special standalone. I'm sure because it's it's planned to go for an hour uh, sometime early next week. <laughs> Also, can I just say this is the first episode that we have had screeners for and screeners do mm-hmm. not include subtitles, infuriatingly. Yeah. This episode has a lot of like planet names and, and people's names. And 
lizard some bird of the time, names. And you've got a, a robot woman who's speaking in some strange accent that I can't identify uh-huh. or mostly understand half the time. So I might be getting some of these terms wrong or not using yeah. the terms because I just don't know them because I, I didn't get the subtitles. So please forgive us for that. Uh, we're going to get yeah. through this as best we can. Pronunciations worse than usual. Yes. If you can believe it. All right. Let's take a quick break and then get into the recap. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. All right, let's get into the recap. We start off with Brother Day headed to meet with the Luminous. He uh, interrupts Dimmerzel, who's getting ready for the meeting, and asks her what it's like to be awake for the jump. She cannot explain it to a, a human mind. So uh, then she starts testing him on his knowledge of Luminism and tells him what Luminism means to her, because apparently she's a Luminist as well. Uh, and then Day asks about Zephyr Halima, who opposes him. And finds out that she's only been a Zephyr for a year after fleeing her homeworld, which is, was racked by earthquakes. I think that happened a long time ago, but I don't know. She's, she's relatively new to this leadership stuff within the religion. And I, I think he thinks that he's, she's just going to be steamrolled by him. She'll yeah, be easy to but deal she's with. been through actual hardships where he is at a life of being pampered and all that. So, yeah. Uh, and then they, my money. they land on this moon. So. Yeah, and I've also seen the episode where she runs circles around him. So uh-huh. <laughs> this this yeah. episode. So yeah, that didn't go so well for him. Um, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, Everything about the Luminist religion. Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to talk about something I forgot to talk about last episode. Uh, amongst the the questions of Anacreon stormtrooper accuracy, amongst the questions of uh, why Imperial ships don't go in the combat zones with their shields up. Uh 
The other question I had is these guys came out of hyperspace and immediately hailed people. But even the Empire has to go into his little cryo suit to survive the jump procedure to not not go insane. How does that work on the bridge of an Imperial battleship? Are they just all like kind of webbed up there and they got spacers like like the first thing to do is like uh, split their face and he just gets right into camera and says, hey, I need to talk to facility administrator here. Is that a is that a giant weakness for Imperial battleships? That there's like a couple of minutes of them, their crew getting out of uh, being destabilized from the jump. Um, In which case, it seems super risky to like jump right into some uh, some planet's orbit. Yeah. Uh, I would suggest in, 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 you know, seasons going forward, maybe nail some of that stuff down because I was, I was kind of confused. It seemed like they came out of hyperspace fully armed and functional Mm -hmm. yet. We see even the empire, you know, has to, has to go into the cryo sleep, uh, like everybody else. It's true. Um, also speculated. We also speculated about the nature of the spacers, the long, um cgi people that kind of like take care of the ship during the hyper jumps and it seems like they can it's like we're kind of both right they're not robots they're definitely human but barely human and heavily engineered genetically engineered to survive the process soulless those are soulless yeah, who humans. knows yeah who knows they're know. not seen by the grace of the mother the maiden the crone right uh yes maybe we should talk about that or actually let's let's talk about the Narration. This is the first episode that has a narration at the beginning, I think, but not at the end. So it's not yeah. bookended with narration. It just kind of ends. Um, mm-hmm. What do you make of of what uh, Gail here is saying about about this man who you know could create and destroy worlds, but she just saw a man who had never known doubt until Harry Seldon, and now he's known doubt twice because he's met uh, Zephyr Halima. Mm-hmm. Halima. Uh, yeah, I don't know. This is where I was talking about in the uh, the intro where uh, there's a slight twitch, like when when she's given this monologue or given this um, voiceover and he's staring at himself in the mirror. As she gets to that point where he's never known doubt until he met Harry Salton, his eye kind of gets this kind of uncontrollable twitch. Again, showing that maybe the degradation of these clones doesn't stop just with uh, the color blindness of Cleon the 14th, Cleon the 13th, uh, Emperor Day might have some instability too. He seems like he's a lot more angry, less patient than previous versions of himself. Um, it's fascinating stuff. Um, I, I read a letter. So when we got screeners, we also got access to a letter from David Goyer to the, the people who would be watching those screeners. And one of the things in that letter is how this, um show is supposed to deliver a message of hope and it, it, every time i look at this show um through its lenses i'm i'm not necessarily seeing that yet i, I think we're in the phase of like downfall right so I, I probably won't see that yet but i think if there's anybody here who embodies hope it's harry selden but i found myself in this first uh op- in this opening narration thinking she could be talking about Harry Seldon as well, like creator and destroyer of, of worlds, the, mm-hmm. you know, the power to predict the future and, and keep humanity on a path is essentially what he's doing. Um, you know, a man who had never met doubt, I guess, I guess he does doubt it. Um, you know, he mm-hmm. has doubted himself from time to time, certainly. 
But he's, I would argue that he is above the sleeper's words, right? If he's able to correctly see, interpret, and predict um, the future. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if these words don't also apply in a way to Harry Seldon, but that wouldn't be very hopeful, right? To have Harry Seldon be equated yeah. with um, the emperor here. But it may be in like an equal and opposite kind of way. It, it could be, yeah. Yeah. But as far as like the lack of hope, I think you're right because like I I found it impossible not to draw a connection between Zephyr Kalima's world that's racked by earthquakes and devastation. She had to flee it with what's going on with Gale's world of Synax, where it's being racked. It seems like maybe everywhere, you know, and why it was overproduction, you know, like why did the earthquakes happen? Uh, why are things destabilizing all over is because of the, you know, economic proposals and, and uh, policies of the empire seems likely or the empire is so preoccupied with their own opulence and wealth that they don't, you know, there's crumbling infrastructure. Like, you know, how many, Shit, we've been trying to get infrastructure deal done in this country for going on five fucking years in two different administrations. Still not done. Right. Uh, we have two, we have out of the five bridges in Cincinnati, two and a half of them are currently closed because they're unsafe to carry the traffic they're doing. So, like, yeah, yeah, I can definitely plug into despair. I'm not seeing the hope yet, but clearly they're they're drawing the parallels to today. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, they got to they got to have some kind of thesis of how we can get ourselves out of this. You know, something can bring us all together. Yeah. And I guess if I look back at episode one um, where Harry's on trial here, his message of hope is that we can reduce the harm, um, reduce the impact of, of this, you know, dark ages, this uh, coming dark ages. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I hope, I do hope that we get around to the hope because so far, uh, I'm just comparing it with what we're doing today and going, boy, that looks bleak. Well, like I said, they're definitely going to get season two. So that yeah. that definitely increases the odds that we're going to get to to hope. Um, I So I want to talk a little bit more about the Dimmerzel stuff with the Empire. I thought it was neat because I think Lee Pace um, is channeling like his inner child throughout the scenes where it's just him and the Dimmer, Dimmerzel. And the show draws a specific, uh, explicit connection between this. When Dimmerzel says, even as a child, you used to like to watch me prepare. We remember the scene we saw of the young uh, brother Day, who was brother Dawn, watching her repair her clavicle from the brother Dusk uh, visiting the, the scar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that, like, you know, when she's giving him his lecture, he's eating that little bowl of soup. And it just everything about him was like kind of childlike. He, I felt like he was pulling his yeah. shoulders in. He was doing all the skills to kind of like portray being back to that little boy craving this robo mama's uh, attention and approval, mm-hmm. um, especially now he's dealing with a matter of her faith, which that kind of blew my mind that this robot has gone in with the humanist religion. Yeah, and more than ever, my Dimmerzel is evil or at least working at cross purposes of the Empire. Alarms are, 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 are going off at max volume. Oh, how could they not be after she, you know, bows in deference to her religion as she's standing right next to her emperor? Right. Ooh, <laughs> like, and what does the emperor say about that next episode? Yeah, Holy yeah. shit. That's that's the number one thing I'm looking forward to next episode. Um, it, Yeah, there, there's so much good stuff they're doing here. I mean, it, you know. This is not uh, something that's uncommon in fiction, but he is literally also eating soup, cereal, whatever he's eating with a golden spoon, which we all mm. understand the metaphor there, right? 
Sure. Um, so yeah, they're, they're doing a lot of, a lot of cool stuff here and they're informing us a lot about the religion too, like its origins. Yeah. Um, and this is all, you know, couched in the idea that it's sort of a refresher before they land on the planet where he has to interact with these religious people. Um, and the concept of this religion being truly ancient, like the visible discomfort the empire yes. has of this thing predating not just the the genetic dynasty, but the empire itself mm-hmm. that lasts, you know, it's it's three. It's been around three thousand years longer, you know, than than the empire itself has. And that is yeah. pretty, pretty wild concept. I think that also indicates that the era imperial did not start you know, it's not going to start tomorrow, right? It doesn't pick up from modern day yeah. um, because yeah. if we're talking 3,000 3, years of luminance, before, yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I seriously doubt that humans are going to colonize some planet in another part of the galaxy in the next 10 years that's going to yeah start up luminism. This is where our obsession with RGB lighting goes. We did it, <laughs> it, in another 3,000 years and morphs into this worship of the three moons and the gods. It's in the luminance. See, three gods, RGB, they come together as one. <laughs> I, I, I see where they're going. I see where all you fucking oh, PC master race people with your goddamn RGB rigs are going. It's, it's not good. It's going to lead to fanaticism if it hasn't already. I thought it was going to be the the you know the the shit what's the name of the arizona um city where all the crystals happen i i thought it was gonna be sedona. the sedona yeah sedona uh i thought it was gonna be the the salt lamp people who were gonna go to this planet and <laughs> colonize and take over because man they're drinking out of the salt lamps right taking it too far it's not good it's not good but uh, you can also see because they, they made it they kind of sh- uh if anything the empire soft pedaled how violently in disagreement this religion and its core t- tenets are with the cleonism because it wasn't just about the soul stuff like the this this religion is all about relentlessly self-improving and mm. uh service and uh enlightenment where the yeah. cleon is all about you know if not stagnation then stasis mm-hmm. like unchanging uh stability and it's it's you know growth is not stable it makes you Uh, wonder how the empire was able to ever integrate luminism into its you know sort of sphere of influence right um with with a religion that at some point the you know they they make a point that a few episodes ago that halim is talking about older parts of the religion right and it changed since then under new leadership but how did they co-op that in the first place? Hmm. I mean, probably the same way they're doing now. Payola. Yeah. <laughs> you have, you know, like you got three trillion, but there's still five trillion people. And uh, you got the uh, apparently uh, seems like this is also. It reminds me of a place. um it, rem- it reminds me of a place that's like uh, like 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 Palestine, you know, is not like super re- uh, uh, rich in like resources other than like human capital. But like it's a supremely important place because it's the birthplace of all these Abrahamic religions. Right. It's got like gotcha. very it's symbolic importance. Mm-hmm. This moon seems very, very poor is the only inhabited moon in this whole system. And it seems like there was a cataclysm that happened in antiquity that like kind of forced this religion to be the way it is. Um, and it's only important. It's a backwater. Can't even feed and, and uh, water its own people. 
but it is the birthplace of this religion. So it has outsized importance. Um, mm-hmm. Also, the, the not for nothing, you know, the whole uh, Palestine and the land of Judea was a real thorn in the imp- in, in the Roman Empire side. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, in fact, you could say with Christianity, uh, one of the religions that sprung out of there kind of like co-opted and took the whole place over. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if there's some direct parallels here. Could be. Because they never they never go into the religions in this deep, right? Like that, like in this this in the books, is no. created for the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. We also finally get to see where all these like matronly figures from you know the 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 credit sequence um come from. Like you know this is like the missing piece of that puzzle because this is all clearly hinting toward the luminance stuff. Yeah. Uh. Okay. So then Dimmerzel. Uh, wants to join Day when they first meet the Luminous, or doesn't want to join him, um, but he insists. And the welcoming committee is a party of one, Zephyr Halima. And they, her and the Emperor trade veiled pleasantries for a bit, and then she leaves. Uh, Calculated disrespect. Yes. I, I like this stuff. I, I like when, you know, the words that people are using are meant to convey you know multiple ideas um there's a a dual nature to the the way they're speaking and and a duality to it right but my problem is as the empire states like how was it that the heretic that is preaching sedition against the empire is the one that greets him like how on a planetary level when you've got the ambassador when you've got the next in line like it's one thing for her to jockey for position and like them all to meet, but like that implies that she's calling the shots in a way that honestly shocks and surprises me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that, you know, it, it makes me wonder if there is a larger conspiracy here that, that this is not something that just sort of sprang up out of nowhere, but this is a plan that more than just Zephyr Halima are in on. Yeah, it almost yeah, has to might be. be right. Like, I don't know why she can just petition them to say, "Hey, can I meet him by myself?" Yeah, and they they're go like, along "Oh yeah, with sure. It. Yeah, you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll give you some alone time. Maybe you can work all your shit out." Why would they like? You'd think that like maybe there would be not a greeting throng because you know that makes a little bit of sense. That's the cover. It's like, well, you know, we're in mourning. You're not going to get your big, you know, emperor occasion. And also, this is unprecedented. What does an emperor mm-hmm. reception even look like? Emperor Day, the prime emperor. You know, um. But yeah, like why weren't the the why wasn't the ambassador and the uh, the other Zephyr there like right in tow, like, you know, el- like elbowing each other to try to offer him the cup. And because it's almost like, did they not know he was coming that day? And she just kind of, you know, <laughs> saw the opportunity. It's like, yeah, like uh, what complex power exchange happened um, to let that situation occur? Uh, the show doesn't really explain it. It just comments on it. Not particularly. They do set up that she is particularly persuasive, though, right? Like they they, they say it's how true. charismatic she is. She demonstrates it later in the episode. I think yeah. she has a lot of personal power in just her manner yeah. and way of yeah. interacting with people. So maybe she was just, you know, by force of will able to uh, convince them that, that yeah. she should do this. But it seems wild. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, so then we go over to Terminus, and we're in the aftermath of the Imperial ship crash here. Uh, the Anacreons are on alert, 
as they search for a specific person or set of people, and then they take the commander of the crashed Imperial ship uh, prisoner. And the first time I watched this, it was. I, I objected to this guy surviving the crash. I'm yeah. like, I wanted to find like I expected them to find him in some kind of energy cocoon that they would like disable and then take him prisoner. I didn't expect him to be crawling, bleeding from the crash. But on my second watch, I noticed that there's this like he's crawling through this long furrow that terminates in this like wrecked ball. I think you're understand. You're supposed to understand that the commander is able to eject and survive but like literally no one else like there weren't multiple escape pods but i think i think you're supposed to understand that he made it to an escape pod and ejected still fucked him up but Captain's supposed to go down with the ship what happened to that uh, i don't think this is this kind of culture <laughs> okay <laughs> i think you have like to, to go back to our discussion about the great man theory i think you've got great men and women in this universe and then you got the the masses that are completely replaceable oh you're you're gotcha. gonna die well good thing we got eight trillion more of you yeah you can replace their memories flash insert memories like you can literally like oh we've lost a helmet helmsman pull one out of the cryo freezer and flash the helmsman program into them it's good we're good to go uh, so the Anacreons are still shooting people in town as they're the, one of the kids that we've met before. I don't know his name is hiding from them. Uh, he's Polly, found, right? Polly. Yeah. Polly and Chia are the Chia. two. Okay. Uh, he's found by his friend Chia, I guess. And they take uh-huh. shelter. Yeah. Uh, take take shelter the in the air uh, vents, as we'll find out later. Uh, she is the one that offered uh, her boobs in exchange for uh, get, getting the furthest uh, to the vault in episode yeah. one. Correct. Um, Farrah tells her people to take the manifest and find engineers and then contact another one of their teams to get the Corvettes ready for launch. There's uh, some discussion here about Invictus, which, you know, will will spill out to the kids ears at some point. Um, and they're they're running a little bit behind schedule and Farah tells one of her guys, hey, we'll kill Salvor once we know that we don't need her, essentially, because she might be the key to the vault and the vault's unknown. Uh, so, yeah, in any control you might have over the vault, try and preserve that because we don't know what it does. Yeah. It's the worst sort of unknown. The one that can knock you the fuck out just for walking up too close to it. Yeah, they fly pretty close to it. I was thinking for a second that <laughs> she was going to pull the same trick. She's going to pull yeah. the same okie doke. Just drive, just <laughs> right. hover right over that. Everybody passes out, and then guess what? Then Fair wakes up. Shit, she's chained to another. <laughs> yeah, why not? How many eye, you got another eyeball, lady? You got another one? <laughs> right. like, go ahead and pop it out of your skull right now. Uh, all right. Anything else to say about this scene? I, all this action stuff that's happening on Terminus is not like. Super I mean, I just like material, we, we talked right? about. I'll, I'll, since we're here at the scene, I will renew my objection to. I don't understand why the Anacreans are running around killing people willy nilly. Because gotcha. until they have the manifest and they know that they've got like like what th- it seems like it's pretty reckless. Uh, mm-hmm. Unless this is all. Unless these these are all black like disruptors, but I don't think so. I think people are getting like pasted. I think so. I mean, when Hugo gets shot, isn't there like actual blood that comes out of him that we see? I think so. And also that one kid, the the one person who tried to rescue the kid got like hit by a mortar or some shit. Like he yeah. looked like full body explosion. So, yeah, people are dying out here. For uh, sure. Good thing you didn't kill all the environmental engineers, Farah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there is something that thematically I think is of a piece with 
last week's episode the the thing about um knowledge right knowledge being the the most noble of pursuits and Mm, and sure that's the thing they're pursuing here right it's they have the equipment they have like the ships they need what they don't have is the knowledge to use that stuff and i think you know they're not using it for altruistic or or (laughs) noble uh pursuits here but the knowledge being the key uh i think is you know of a piece with last episode yeah, and they the Anacreons make that explicit. Say we don't have the knowledge and skills we need. Yeah, uh, to to lead us out of our death and destruction cycle, we mm-hmm. have no way to jumpstart to rebirth because we just don't have the things we need. So then, Farah interrogates Lewis and Savor's mom to get information on the crew. Savor's mom realizes what she's doing, but they um already have what they need so she orders a fence turn back on and recoded to keep the foundation people inside yep <laughs> yep I, I was like, sometimes like you just like you you create you cram like uh, 15 minutes worth of scenes and then sometimes you're breaking it down scene by scene so like yeah that's exactly what happened okay i, I got no right, I, I just no want to give you an opportunity one. to talk about it but yeah you're right there's like this is all action right this is what i mean i meant when i said this at the beginning like a lot of this yeah. is just plot maneuvering and action yep. and not a lot to talk about the kids coming in through the air vents you want to talk about air vents and then how kids it would never fit into air vents and how air vents are an overused trope in every single movie and television show ever. I don't know. Well, these are, these are 50, these are vents 15,000 years into the future. So I'm assuming that they, uh, that, that they're fully traversable by any, any person that needs to traverse them. Uh, I will yeah. say that she a whips ass, man. Yeah. Put, put, put her, put her back into beating this Anacreon down the with her pipe. pipe. Yeah. Or whatever Damn. she had. Brutal. Yeah, I'm saying Chia in the detention chamber with the lead pipe. That's uh, who did the murder in the scene. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they, yeah, they free Salvor by beating the Anacreon guard senseless. Um, so we go back to Farah. She's explaining the situation to the foundation, uh, the people there where they need their help to repair their ships and they'll be left alone once it's complete. Otherwise, you all die. Uh, the engineers try to refuse, but Farah, you know, starts shooting their loved ones, and they eventually comply. And turns out yeah. they have everyone they need. Yeah, um, I, I, there's a couple other things about the the warship, this Invictus, that I kind of want to wait until uh, the kids wake up, uh, Salver, to, for, to put all the details we know about it so far. But uh, they do mention, you know, this, there's uh, we've heard the ship Invictus. Now we've heard that it's an Alte class warship. So mm-hmm. it's got guns uh, and a jump drive, which puts it probably in, you know, like that's exclusively Imperial technology as far as we know. Yeah. So and that's, they're making a, a power play here. So that's super powerful, right? Here, here's what be. needs to happen. If, if they get on the Invictus and they need, you know, the engineers to help them run it and all that stuff, then uh, they need to just kind of, you know, mess, maybe mess with the, the stasis pods a little bit. You know, all right, mm. everybody piloted the stasis pods. You got to do this. Otherwise, your brain will separate from your body. Uh, and then, yeah, that can be the new vault for them, right? Where they trick them into d- disabling themselves. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, because they don't know. How would they know? They've never jumped. No. No. 
All right. Uh, Don visits the garden attendant, uh, Azura, um, attend, uh, to apologize for how he spoke to her earlier. And he tells her she can leave the flowers that he commanded her to rip out before. And then he goes to meet with Brother Dusk for a hunt, which was supposed to be conducted by Brother Day. And Don is quite good at it. His first try, he, he nails one of these <laughs> something raptors. I, this is where the subtitles, the lack of subtitles failed me because I, I don't know what these are called. Turds. But they um, might be rat turds, yeah. <laughs> I had a little, little Jim Henson Muppet things. Uh, Birds of Paradise, only with lizard mixed in. Um, it's interesting because it seems like Dawn is engaged in like calculated disrespect, like 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 what we saw earlier at the episode with the the Zephyr pulling on uh, Empire uh, with Brother Dusk, because Brother mm. Dusk clearly uh, is taking this opportunity to ingratiate himself with Brother Dawn. You know, he's like uh, the big brother uh with the little brother and mom's out of the house so he's like letting them stay up late and watch and and watch porno and and eat candy Mm -hmm. uh because he's like oh this is the coming of age thing and supposed to be brother day but he's uh bucking with tradition so what let's say we all buck with tradition um but he uh and it's interesting because there's like little hints throughout this episode of the colorblindness thing like when brother dust says ignore the color focus on movement yes well, no one if that's the key, if that's literally the key, then no wonder this guy is so bang up at shooting because, mm-hmm. you know, he all he can see is the movement. So um, and I so that that's the question I had is. How much of Brother Dawn hiding the extra birds was because he didn't want to give Brother Dusk even a hint as to his condition and how much of it was he's like, oh, fuck, I already showed the old man up by refusing to let him mold my luck in the skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how much of it is like, oh, I, I already I already pissed him off once or kind of turned it. I, I can't show him up twice in the same day. It's dangerous to do that. Uh, I, I think he's hiding more than just his colorblindness. I think he's hiding a feeling that he has toward the Empire and his existence in general. Um, and that's demonstrated by what he says about the garden here with Azura. He, he mm. says it's a, uh, what a foolish attempt to control the uncontrollable, uh, mm-hmm. you know, where flowers just going to grow toward the light and whatever. Um, to me, that belies a discontent with the, the way that the empire is set up. So it's weird. Cause it's, 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 that's, that's a playbook out of the previous brother dusks. Mm hmm. Uh, manual that this kid never ever heard other than with his tiny newborn clone infant ears right right so yeah presumably there there is a bigger rift here that I think is what the episode is getting at it's not just colorblindness yeah. it's not just a genetic drift it's it's drift of ideas as well oh yeah they've done a good job of showing that these this latest batch of clones are just not in sync like the others butt heads but this they're not even not even a public face can they get the unified voice the unified gesture all that like Mm -hmm. it's there's a some there's a hitch in the the works and he's not feeling it right it's not it's not because he's like deficient it's not because he's colorblind that he's not in lockstep with these other cleons it's that he just doesn't care um he's got some kind of mental hang up with whatever uh, with his life and he's just doesn't take it seriously. Sure. Uh, and I assume we'll find out a lot more about that, especially as he ages into brother day and actually 
gets power here. Um, and how what's he going to treat the next? How's he going to treat the next brother, Don? Right. I mean, what ideas is he going to instill in future? Like here, here's like the real drift that can happen. Right? Is the drift of ideas? I think the genetic stuff is less important. Um, the genetic stuff is almost a red herring here. It's all about the ideas and and sure. you know Harry Seldon is dealing with this on the other side with his you know stick to the plan right yeah um, that well plan and also like because because I think you're right about the ideas but like everyone like I think this is a show putting its thumb on the side of the scale of uh, something's wrong something's different mm-hmm. because there's been two kind of like uh, discussions being had by the fans one which is this is locked in stasis nothing is changing uh, the brother always bulks at his death the new guy versus something's new something's different well this colorblind thing is a definite new thing so that gives credence to the ideas being different like this isn't growing pains that they all go through as their roles are shifting and stuff this is a uniquely kind of this of a moment problem the empire is having so now i'm thinking about brother dusk's mural that he put above the the crib of brother dawn uh, or I guess, you know, the old brother desk. Did, did he just accidentally create a nihilist here? Is that what happened? <laughs> what? Did he see this message of hope and creation and go, yeah, no, you're right, dude. And it, everything we're doing here is shit. So I just don't care. Well, it also like, does he even get it? Like, yeah, if he's colorblind, like it, it I, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. But like, he wow. might not even have ever seen the message. Mm hmm. Because if you've seen any of those colorblind tests, like I can barely make them out, but I, you know, but like you just like if there's numbers and patterns there that you just don't see, they just all look like dots. And in fact, didn't we even make us think like these looked like colorblind tests because stuff was kind of shifting? I, I remember us making Myers. a joke on a podcast. I might, but so like it's entirely possible that the old brother, uh, brother darkness came up with the last ditch thing to try to like, say something profound about the next generation and have that be in that person's forefront. And it completely was lost. (laughs) Yeah. I like that idea. It feels about right. Uh, all right. Salvor is dragged into a cave by the kids or, you know, the heating tunnels, um, and wakes up. Kids ask her about Invictus, and she explains, oh, this is an old ghost ship thing, and they say, well, Farrah found it. Salvor's dad and Hugo then find them. Um, and, and Salvor, you know, says, hey, we're going after the Corvettes, which kind of surprises them, and then she thanks the mm-hmm. kids and tells them to stay here. Yeah, she's suddenly all about her being the central part of the Selden plan. Um, yeah. Without her, it's going to fall to shit. We have to follow my instincts. Uh, it's probably, probably right. Uh, mm-hmm. But here's where we get a big like if uh, for everyone who hasn't gotten what the show's putting down, the show just outright tells you that this Invictus is a somewhat famous legendary ship that was lost some time ago. Uh, it's conscious the concept of a ghost ship, a ship that's just drifting out in space. Um, and we know it's a warship and we know Pharaoh wants it because it seems to me that in an era where the empire is kind of withdrawing from the peripheral of its border, uh, someone with an imp with a, with a, a jump capable warship, uh, would be a real power. Yeah. You know, kind of like, it reminds me of the, what the Rasanati is able to get up to in the outer reaches of the solar system. Like they're just a small Corvette gunship, but you know, Mars and earth are otherwise, uh, engaged. There's no real fleet in the belt. So they're kind of like the most, 
there's a small gun, but they're the biggest one in the space they're operating in. I wonder right. if there's something Farah has something uh, similar planned. Uh, does she want revenge against the Empire or is she trying to carve out her own from the decaying corpse of the uh, of the Empire that she's living in? All right, let's take a quick break and we'll get right back to it. All right, next scene is Brother Day getting the proper welcome he desired in a luminous ceremony. And Zephyr Galat is beating around the bush about what they need from the Empire. So some dude, I don't even know who this is, takes over and inelegantly says, hey, we need water. So Day loudly declares in front of everyone that to celebrate Galat's ascension, Empire will build a moon-wide desalination plant. And everyone is very pleased. That's what I'm saying about this. There's a lot of... uh... This guy's the the ambassador that showed up to announce the Proxima's death and the last. Yeah, 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 same there. Okay. Um, but there's a lot of out. There's a lot of like um, checker style political scheming going on mm-hmm. in like broad daylight here. You know, uh, <laughs> what do you need? I don't know. This guy's saying it, and him just like ah, I'm going to steal. Uh, Zeph- Zephyr Halima's whole metaphor. She mm-hmm. wants to purify me thirst. with her shitty salt water. Ah, uh, nah, nah, nah. I'm gonna purify her shitty salt water with uh, my <laughs> imperial water. desalination tech. So, right. And people eat it up. He's like, ah, oh, yeah, these are my. But the, I, you also get the feeling that this is a subsection of this particular religious cult that is the one that wants to get in good at the Empire. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't the full assembly we see later. This is like a little click. That is very friendly to the empire, except for Halima, who's um, sitting over in the corner, and he takes a big old gulp of that. That's of, true. Of Zephyr, she is there. Yeah, you're uh, right. Galat's cup, and then looks over at her, which I loved. I, you know, kind of throwing shade with his eyes there. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I like this stuff. I mean, yes, it happens kind of in the open in front of a bunch of people who have no business, you know, with the political dealings here. But I, I like it. I like this scene. Uh, you know, the, the 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 small power getting a concession from the large power that just wants to maintain the status quo and sort of using, you know, not threats, but like, hey, we're Carrot. in pickle here. We know this is good for you if it goes away. So give us something and it'll go away. He- heavy on the carrot with the, you know, they're, they're, they're not overthinking the stick. The stick's not even out of the bag. They're no. just there's all carrots. Carrots are everybody. <laughs> For sure. All right. Salvor's dad can't keep up with Hugo and Salvor, so he hangs back. Uh, Salvor hangs back with him, and they talk about her parents' time on Trantor. Tells her it was wonderful, but it was all built on lies and deception, and that he joined the Foundation only because he wanted to bone down her mom. Uh, and they arrive at the Anacreon Corvettes, and they scout it out and see they're planting charges that are going to destroy Terminus, or at least the power supply for Terminus. And then Salvor gets up with the intent to steal some charges and use them to take out the Corvettes. Uh, yeah, I, man, I would kind of like to see some of this Trantorian stuff if they had the budget for it. I, I want to see the floating whales dancing, yeah. and the, the magic fountains and, you know, all that. Cause like, uh, we've really only seen outside, outside of the Imperial walls and gardens. I feel like everything's kind of reg- relatively austere, austere. Uh, we haven't seen much beyond the spaceport and that. Of course, he did say that they worked for the spaceport, so their family was well off. Maybe they were part mm-hmm. of that uh, that opulence. But yeah, I haven't seen the the bread and circuses that are distracting everybody from the 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 minions toiling unseen and unheard. Yeah, Trantor Vegas. That's what I want to see. Yeah, uh, 
think we said that's the uh, what is the 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 Gossamer Court? Yeah. What stays in the what happens in the Gossamer Court stays in the Gossamer Court because they're gonna fucking mind wipe you <laughs> <laughs> when they're done with you. Jesus. Yeah. Fucking West got Westworld up here in the foundation. Yeah, except with people. It's even grosser. Um, what you're saying? The robots on Westworld aren't people. Fucking robust. I, I mean, thought some we are. We, some of them I are, thought we yeah. moved past this, Jim. Well, there's a point. There's a, you know, it's my, it's my camera mind shit, you know? Got to get past a certain threshold. Mm. Uh, anyway, Don is still hunting expertly. He's actually breaking Dusk's record of three by three. And he takes all those extra ones he, he killed and throws them in the bushes and then shows Dusk, Luke, I tied you on my first attempt. Dusk's impressed and toasts him and then decides to take him to Gossamer Court, which is... A pleasure palace, let's say. And he picks the woman who most resembles the garden attendant, Azura, and takes her to a chamber where they just talk. Then the woman later reports everything he said to Brother Dusk. When does the mind wipe happen? When? Like, so this put 20, a mind wipe chamber in every single uh, bed chamber. Like, what, what are hmm. we doing here? Come on. Well, I wonder, because he said this This is all something invented by Cleon the First. Mm-hmm. And we know Cleon the First kind of had a distrust of his clones. I wonder if this was, this is intended. Like, uh, one of the things oh, yeah. you do when you get promoted from Brother Day to Brother Dusk is like, hey, the Gossamer Court is kind of your domain. Like, mm-hmm. you, it's, it's up for you to use this kind of soft power to get the minds of the other emperors so you can kind of continue to guide him something. Or it could be nefarious. This is something that's relatively unprecedented and he's just taking the opportunity while day is away and, and no one is, is there to kind of mind. And clearly this guy's never been to the Gossamer court before, like spring this on him and take advantage of him. Mm-hmm. I don't exactly know. Kind of like, when I was first watching this episode, I thought this whole hide the hide the lizard birds, hide the lizard birds was him afraid of really showing up Brother Dusk. Right. Um, and offending him. But now the more I thought about it, it's the more of him trying to hide his secret because he thought the color movement thing would give him away, which yeah. man, him, his life must be. Do you think the other clones know about this? There's no I, way. I don't think so. No. But it also seems crazy that no one, including Dimmerzel, has ever figured this out. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, hey, hand me the shirt. No, the red shirt. The, the fucking red shirt. Like, how many times has that happened to him? Uh, you know, Brother Day lecturing him about the color and clarity of a glass of wine, and mm-hmm. he just kind of not, you know, can't tell red for. I, I I don't know. Um, so yeah, I there's a lot of ambiguity about uh the scheming, which I like. That's good. Like, I don't know. Um, what exactly Brother Dusk is up to other than he's clearly trying to either ingratiate or get some kind of power over Brother Dawn for some purpose that only he knows. I yeah. mean, clearly this is all he got checked hard by Brother Day and this is kind of like him trying to there's got to be some element of that him getting his power back. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, we wondered aloud about that um, when, you know, as soon as Day left and said, hey, I'm going on this trip. Right. Um Yeah. That very next scene, you're the, like, oh, what's he going to do with Terminus here? Because that seems dangerous. Yeah. As far as when they wipe their minds, it seems like it's when they leave Terminus and or I'm not not Terminus, Trantor. And that might have to do with that 24 hour period that the pleasure lady was talking about with the previous brother day. That like, uh, you know, there there is a long line of people waiting to get in uh, to be drafted into Pleasure Palace. And then after 24 hours, they're they're sent on their way. You also wonder, like, how many people don't make it off the planet? 
<laughs> is there yeah. like how 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 King Joffrey do do people get with some of these uh, men and women who are clearly replaceable? Um, you know, I I don't know. It's uh, this this is a, a a much darker, more nakedly dark side of the empire than I was expecting from the show. Yeah, I got a distinct um, Littlefinger's brothel vibe from this yeah. scene where yeah, like we can per uh, to any kind of perversion even the illegal ones uh, oh yeah and, and also where what's little fingers like <laughs> i don't want to call her the bottom bitch but that's kind of what she is uh in in that series Roz. yeah yeah um like where every single one of the people in here is like his Roz for 24 hours right um right and, and yeah, then yeah, like yeah. mind wipe them and they just become whatever uh people again so yeah i definitely got that vibe and i like how you you know you mentioned this they're they're recontextualizing things uh that we've already seen uh, with the colorblind Mm -hmm. stuff and all that i yeah i i really appreciate when they're able to do that so skillfully and that's why i'm hesitant to be a little harder on some of the things of the show because like how do i know what's a leap of logic and what is something that's going to be recontextualized or better explained later yeah. So and they've done it so many times now that I'm inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. All right, we move to Salvor, uh headed toward the Corvettes, but she then suffers a vision and falls to the ground. The the two men move in to save her and destroy the Corvettes. Or her dad goes after the Corvettes. Hugo goes to save her. Uh Salvor sees Harry telling Raish that the only way to repair the damage done to Psychohistory's predictions because he stays with Gale is for him to kill Harry and send Gale away or, or does he tell him to send Gale away? I no, no, no. he doesn't. So and then Rage he kills says, him. and I don't know that he, this whole thing collapses because he's, he's, he's saying that unless he's trying to talk Rage into doing a modification. So the plan, I think as Rage understood it was mm-hmm. for Harry to kill himself, to commit suicide. Right. And for, because Rage and, um, because Raish and Gale have gotten so close. I, I see this is where it's like, I don't think I, I, I and I don't think we're supposed to a hundred percent see this no. clearly yet. It disrupts because the plan it's possible somehow. that Harry just doesn't trust Raish will do what he needs to do. If he continues to allow this. So he mm-hmm. makes him kill him so that he knows that there's enough fanaticism, that there's no way Raish will be able to survive this ship unless he gets off. Cause he's what he's actually says is, it can't be me that kills myself. You have to do it. And then you have to yeah. go right to your cryo ship. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Do not, whatever you do, talk to Gale. Do not implicate her. So the plan was for him. So Harry's calling an audible mm-hmm. of, of having Rache kill himself instead of, or kill Harry instead of Harry kill Harry. And then when Gale walks in, Raish calls an audible and yeah. throws her into the pod, which we saw last episode. That's something that's like, what well, was this designed for? What? Yeah. So like, again, boy, it seems like the whole psycho history plan is, is really weeble wobbling here. Uh, and you know, I've been theorizing that maybe Gail is somehow uh, important because she can interpret psycho history the way that Harry could. And I don't think that's true of Raish. So no, if Raish were no. intended to be in that pod by Harry, then that can't be the plan, right? It can't be important that someone who understands psychohistory end up on Harry's homeworld. No, I think I think the so, opposite. I think Harry intended Gale to be on Terminus and the beneficiary right. of whatever is in the vault. 
and Raish doing some mission on uh, Harry's home planet Helicon that was going to coincide with the first crisis and these roles being flipped or entirely absent. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one thing I don't think that Harry even knew is that maybe Raish and Gale had already conceived a child, which, you know, again, I don't know this to be a fact because this isn't how that goes in the book. Yeah. But it seems it seems obvious that like we're, we've got a situation where where Salvor Harden is the, the love child of of Raish and, and Gale. And she has the same genetic material or at least a nut close enough to 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 match the vault mm-hmm. in some way. Um. But yeah, like there's just there's like two levels of audibles here. Um, and have, they, I, I, the, have they hinted at any of that with um, you know Clark Peters and uh, Salvor's mom like talking about how they're not actually her parents or anything? I can't remember. Man, they haven't. Not that I can think of. I really because like they would know, right? <laughs> it's not it's not a case of. But hey, like I can see, uh, so like we have a baby and we don't know where it came from, but it's definitely ours. Nah, they they probably need they probably need something to establish that. But I, I imagine how it went is like, well, the mother's gone, and we have this embryo, mm-hmm. and they're all precious. We need to get it like we need to populate this as fast as we can. So they're just like we need a surrogate mother, and then that's that's I think that's all the explanation. Or Harry swaps need. him, swaps the embryos and the interesting and then like what happens to game because so i still think like I- any embryo would be implanted like uh, like everyone gets implanted it's viable so that's oh, yeah maybe okay. here he did well, a swaparoo before because that's the thing that like there's going to be i mean uh, harry's hologram flaring up uh, might be some exposition for gail but it's i believe it was in t- whatever exposition she gets from this hollow simulation of harry's death was meant for race and that's the thing that unless mm-hmm. harry was so fucking four-dimensional five head chess that he foresaw that Raish was going to do fuck man I don't, I don't know. know I don't know about that yeah I, it, this tough. does raise a lot of questions about what we saw last episode so because the four dimensional f- five head chess is kind of Harry Seldon's whole deal <laughs> it's yeah, like I can't but, put it past him but you're getting you're getting really far into simulating individual behavior there right right and you're no longer pulling like. strings the the puppets are moving on their own and that's that's weird mm-hmm um, so after that, Salvor wakes up and her and Hugo provide a distraction for her father to get in close and try and take out these Corvettes, but things go very much sideways. And her dad's forced to sacrifice himself to take out these ships. Oh, before we go on, um, Hugo implies in her discussion with her father that this has happened before. What has happened before? This, her falling to the ground and having a vision. Uh huh. Yeah, that's true. No, he she she doesn't fall to the ground when it happens the first time, but she like blanks out. Right? Um, Did that happen in the episode that they introduced Hugo? Yes. Uh, yeah. Shit. Why don't I not remember that? It's, What's it's the context? When, it's when the Anacrons are first like headed toward the fences or whatever, uh-huh. um, and uh-huh. she's like, yeah, running around trying to prep everybody, and she just kind of stares for a second, and she sees Raish as a young child in the library of Harry Selden. Oh, right. She was seeing, that's right. And she's seen that same version of that. Okay. You're, you're right. She has been seeing these, these visions. Um, It is pretty like now it's different. Like she is literally in uh, the body of Gail. Like they're deliberately, she's wearing the same kind of weird cryo bikini tankini. Uh, It's, they're very much like trying to put her into the body of Gail, which again, that's I think this episode all but confirms the, you know, R plus 
uh, R, R plus G equals S. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a theory. Yeah. If we go back to Game of Thrones notation, the Raish plus Gale equals Salver. Yeah. Um, so, so uh, when we're seeing these flashbacks, I'm wondering if this is not just a, like Salvor's connection to the vault. Could it be that this is just a concession they need to make to their storytelling mechanisms? Like, Hey, we need somebody here who can get flashbacks. And I know like we're speculating about, Oh, she could be the daughter of Raish and Gale and Mm -hmm. all this stuff. But it's possible that they are just, you know, they need somebody who has some kind of affinity for this so that they can get these flashbacks in there to tell the story they want to tell. Um, that would be pretty inelegant and it would be pretty, um, you know, it wouldn't be something I'd appreciate long-term. So I hope that's not the case, but it could be. And then we also talked about this in the intro, but like, why is the liquefaction of the ground not an overall problem for Terminus? Right. And my only thing is like, they, 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 uh, if, if I, if I scroll up, they said that, uh, the Anacreons are planning charges next to the vents and it seemed like they're putting him in like dispersed uh, locations. And this was one instead of all six of them going off, um, you know, and, and it like, but, but, why did the ground liquefy? Is that an effect of the bomb? Because I understood that like that's over a geothermal vent that it kind of superheated it and it just like, you know, made the magma come out or whatnot. Could um, be. Yeah. But that seems like it could also fuck up their energy harvesting. I don't know. Yeah. Um, the way I read it, you know, on a kind of meta level is that this is just better overall for their goals in the moment. Like, yeah, we could sacrifice some of the energy production for the very real um, goal of stranding these people on this planet. Um, So I I don't know, like a greater good sort of thing, right? What do you think of uh, father Harden's last admonition to his daughter? Uh, You know, open your fist, don't fight to win contrasting. Like, you know, when he first landed on the planet, his fists were all balled up because he's so angry and he hated the place so much. And, you know, his wife saying, ease up. You can't punch the wind. You can't fight the wind. Um, yeah, I Salver mean she's been like fighting she has, her nature the whole time, right? So yeah, open up and, to and it. resentment mm-hmm. about like how her place in the colony and how the colony treats her, and to be more open-handed uh, with people. Maybe even uh, she needs to be more open-handed with the Nacrians. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's got to find a way to make peace with these people who are on her doorstep rather than defeat them. I'm, I'm. There's yeah. a lot of different ways you can interpret that, and I'm, I'm wondering which one, uh, which lesson Salver will take away from it. And there is a little strange camaraderie developing, or a strange like relationship between Farah and Salvor. Like the end of this episode where she flips the coin, kind of gives her a wry look, and Farah returns oh, yeah. it. Like there's some. Well, something yeah. they they understand about each other um, or respect about each other, at least. Right? I definitely think I th- definitely think that there is some respect building for for Salver in the mind of Farah. I don't know if it goes back the other way or maybe like also I saw a lot of this is like because uh, that fair character has a really grim way of smiling and it might just be the fact mm-hmm. her face is so fucked up but like you know when the empire landed and and uh, or came into the system and like terminus is whooping it up she had that kind of same grim smile on her face like it, it could be um and then like you know when when salver was like i hope this makes you feel better and she's like it does actually it does feel pretty good to to watch you suffer 
mm-hmm. could be that she sees Salver being so motivated by spite and hatred that she is getting a grim enjoyment of molding her into her own shape, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And maybe that's part of her plan. Like, cause she's still got their plan is underway. It's, Oh yeah. It's, it's not finished. And also I keep going back to like, I don't, I don't think Harden was lying or bluffing when she says to her, this is an end, not a beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but to what end, like what kind of suicidal thing could she take her family on or her, her, the last remnants of her people on that would be satisfying at this point. She's going to ram Trantor with a hyperspace ship or something. Yeah, no, it's a good question. Cause if she does that, she still dooms her people, right? I, Unless she takes those engineers and repairs all the ships or whatever mm-hmm. um, that they have, but their their problem isn't that they don't have ships to work; it's that they don't have the knowledge to use them. Right? They don't have the mm-hmm. the jump drives, that kind of stuff. So, sure, she kind of needs these engineers. I don't know. She she needs to drop those engineers off on their home world, get them working, and then ram <laughs> a ship if she's mm-hmm. going to do that. But yeah, yeah there, there's something bigger here. I mean, she could use this jump drive to get her people off of Anacreon, which is dying a slow death. Sure. To maybe somewhere more habitable. I don't know. Uh, so then Don invites the attendant Azura up to his bedroom to get a bird's eye view of the garden. He calls her out on the window ledge and tells her his secret that he's colorblind. And they establish their mutual desire not to murder each other by kissing. Lures her out onto the King Tommen Memorial jumping window. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, this is another one. Like, so the Empire can literally take off his protection and throw it out a window, and there's no alarms that go off. And like, like I, and also he jumped out of the window, and no one knew that happened. I'm surprised that there. Maybe this is what it is to be the Empire. Like, you have absolute, the absolute power to even kill yourself. Um, Maybe Cleon didn't mm. see that coming, but I thought it was weird that um, there's not guards that like, you know, anytime there's a threat to the emperor that the like people aren't dispatched just to make sure, you know, are you OK, Empire? Uh, but they're just left completely alone here. Um, yeah, I mean, they do have these safeguards in place and these rules in place for, you know, unborn clones. Right. That's the interesting thing. So they clearly had. had acknowledge that there is a possibility that a Cleon clone will go off track and want to maybe murder a baby clone and bring this whole emperor thing down. But you can accomplish the same goal just by being a brother Don who gets disenfranchised and then goes and kills himself. Right? Like, yeah. Or can a, can a, can a brother abdicate the throne? Just be like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like what are what are the limits? Does the Empire have the power to put himself out of a job? I assume uh, and also, so. you said there there is a rule against them seeing the babies, but like no one stopped them from doing it. Maybe maybe that's maybe that's Dim- Dimmerzel was down there, like she was going to like, you know, with <laughs> the force of her five him. ton punches. Yeah, yeah it's like yeah, just rip him in half like a phone book or something. I, well, that doesn't help the Emperor. <laughs> well it's his brother true he's about to be darkness anyway yeah 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 yeah. just one day you got you got you got the darkness one day early whoop-de-doo you know you get a brother Uh, don coming down there though and you don't want to robot punch him i i I don't know where they're going this relationship because from the gardener's perspective like i i see why in the last feedback there's so many people like it's all she's got to be some kind of plant nefarious plant because like what is this relationship then bond like 
the way she played it before, like she's like terrified the whole time. Like this mm-hmm. all disappears, even though you're on a murder suicide. Let you're fantasizing about how, you know, you could just push me off and silence me forever. You could push me off and, you know, have the whole galaxy come down on you. Let's kiss. Like I, there's I'm a not, complex I, psychosexual power dynamic going on yeah, here. The, it's, it's kind of Romeo and Juliet. I think they're leaning on that kind of like young love. And maybe I'm just too fucking old to truck with it anymore. Cause I'm <laughs> yeah. like, where are your fucking bracelet? You idiot. I mean, there's an what attraction to danger, right? I mean, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a thing that a lot this of women, true. some women like the bad boys, right? Because they're dangerous. Yeah. They're unpredictable. Yeah. Yeah. What, whatever reason they like them I, that's a thing and i i think it's being shown pretty interestingly here i i don't think it's out of character for either of these people they both seem pretty young and pretty like she's she's all twisted up by the danger and the the seduction of the power here right like mm-hmm. this is the most powerful man in the galaxy or soon to be the most powerful man in the galaxy coming to you at, and you don't know if he's there to like kill you or fuck you or what. And there's just, it's, it's weird. It's a weird situation. It's gotta be scary and attractive at the same time. I would imagine. Well, they said, uh, this is from like two official podcasts ago, but they said that the conclusion of this is surprising. And I don't know if we've gotten to the, uh, they meant by the colorblindness or like the ultimate uh, disposition of this plot line. But, uh, there's, I'm uh, I'm bracing for twist that curves ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean this kid's got a death wish. It's it's yet to be seen if that can be changed. Um, I kind of I I it's making a lot more sense now. This isn't just angst. This is like the erasure of the more the more the uh, the mural. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wanted because he's different and he doesn't want to like you know to be the man. You got to be a man. Like he doesn't want to. He doesn't think he can replace the man because he's not a replacement. Yeah, he's 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 different in in some way. Uh, Does he view himself as inferior? Is that is that the thing here? I the think complex? so, or mistake? Like something something has gone yeah. wrong. Um, he's even more and, unnatural than the or you know his his natural uh, mutation sort of makes yeah, him unnatural in a system that is unnatural in itself. Sure. And we see like, you know, that 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 uh, causes a lot of teenagers to take their life when they feel like they don't fit into the system or right. they feel like they're not able to be categorized as easily or they're not li- meeting up the, the what societies and their parents expectations of them. And now you've got that on a galactic scale. So, yeah, it's a, it, he's making a lot more sense the more I to find out, find out about him. It is. Yeah. Um, Obrecht. I think this is Shadow Master Obrecht. Finds, Shadow Master, yeah. Finds the three discarded raptors uh, from earlier. R- raptors? I, I don't know. Rats? Rat turds? Bird, bird lizards, yeah. And he takes them, um, which obviously he's now working at the behest of Brother Dusk, I assume. Yes. I think, but wasn't he working for Day first? or oh, Dawn first. No, 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 no. Dawn sent him there to retrieve it so no one would know. Guaranteed. Maybe. Either that or Brother Dusk found out I, about I think, this, and I, I think I think uh, the I, I think the sh- I think I want to sh- wag my finger at the show if they're saying that Dusk has co-opted him, and we've not seen any hint of that because we understand that this guy is kind of Day's creature right now, and him grabbing that well, and walking out 
of the scene in full predator mode. I think you're supposed to understand is because how would how the hell would he know to do that? Well, he talked to go to, to his, that location. We don't know what uh, the Pleasure Palace woman and him talked about the the very uh, Azura attended analog Pleasure Palace person talked about with him. Do you him. think there was more talk that we saw? Because I thought he just got this. She got dismissed from service. There was nothing mentioned about the bird lizards. There's nothing mentioned about the colorblind stuff. So like the only one is more that look. Oh, the only thing is if the retainer that was with him. I guess the show might be trusting us to assume that Brother Dusk is interrogating everybody from this jaunt, including the guy that was holding his gun that knew where those birds were. But why? Mm, but mm, why? Maybe. Why gather them? The information is what's valuable. Um, the only way to gather them is if you want to conceal them to keep them being to, to protect. So I, I still coming down and I think this is Dawn. Or if you want to confront him with them, like, hey, I know, you know, if you're going <laughs> to blow up his spot. Um, <laughs> yeah, but- what is this? I You're know. holding out lizards on me, kid. <laughs> right. I thought I, th- I thought we're Here's brothers. Brothers don't let sky lizards come between them. Like, what, what is this? I <laughs> well, don't know. I mean, you you try and like hint around this, it and get him to admit it. But when he won't, you hit him with the. This isn't lizards. exactly uh, Michael kissing Fredo in Cuba. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, sure. <laughs> you broke my heart, Don, over this lizard bird situation. The other interesting thing about this is Obrecht has a personal cloaking field. I I don't know if we yeah. knew that before. No. Um, this is the second time the, we've seen cloaking technology in the last two episodes. And like, I, I, I said Predator style, but like better. Like he's just gone, invisible. Yeah. This ain't like, you know, your hokey halo cloak where you can still tell where people are totally. This is, he's mm-hmm. gone. This gets Pretty cool. dangerous. Um real quick with storytelling because literally anyone could be literally anywhere at any time. And that yeah. is a powerful tool in the hands of a storyteller. It's also an easy to misuse tool in the hands. And of we a talk about this a lot when we're talking about like the West world where anyone can be anyone. If yes. Anyone can be anyone with a marble in their head. It's like, you have to really think about that because if you pull too many rugs on the audience and like, well, if we can't trust our eyes or ears, it's one thing to do a twist every once in a season or so. But right. like if it's happening on an episode by episode, I, I as a viewer kind of tune out like, well, shit, why do I even care? You know? Yeah. And it starts to drive a lot of speculation online that then gets twisted oh up God. into insane, yeah. truly insane theories. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not yeah. that's not the show's fault necessarily. But these are tools no. that are extraordinarily powerful and you have to use them sparingly. Yeah. Else shit just starts to feel like, what's the point? Right. I start to become Brother right. Don. Like, you know, I'm colorblind to, to seeing what the show's doing. So I guess fuck me. I'm going to jump out of a ledge. Yeah. Jumping out ledge. the metaphorical TV watching window. <laughs> right. Uh, Salvar is trying to make sense of her father's life and death. And she. Uh, leans towards blaming herself here. Hugo tries to talk some sense into her, which I guess kind of works because she's immediately off on a plan to get to his ship before they can, uh, for the Anacreons can in order to strand them on the planet. Although she's, she's leaning into the revenge. I think Hugo's trying to push her into societal responsibility. Like sure. you, you know, this isn't your fault. It's the idiots in the tower that didn't listen to you's fault. Mm-hmm. They need you. You're the only one that can lead them through this crisis versus fuck. I don't care about the crisis. I'm getting I'm getting Farah, And I think. That might be one of the reasons Farah is smiling is because it might be a plan for her to 
get under Harden's skin in this way or have her identify with her in this way. I don't know. That's a little sub theory I got going on. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how this plays out. I'm, I'm kind of excited about it now that they're like off the planet and headed toward, you know, a crisis of sorts. Yeah, that, that'll be exciting. Uh, then we go back over to the salt planet. His name I'm not even going to try to say because I had no subtitles. Uh, Proxima it's Opals. The, it's the Maiden. That's just they refer to it as the Maiden. Oh, oh right. They're on the it's moon. The, yeah. yeah. Um, the Maiden. Because the planet's called like Sarah or something like, like as in Michael Sarah. I, something like that. I could barely tell what they were saying. It's named that because the, the gaseous cloud bands just kind of look like Michael Sarah's head. Yeah, that's true. Uh, all right. Proxima Opal's funeral is happening and the sort of the, the ascension ceremony as well. Um, but it's interrupted by Zephyr Halima, who delivers a speech that both insults Empire and inspires the Luminous. Dimmerzel included. Holy shit. I. This is that a, bad was a look. moment. Bad look, Dim. Bad look. And and Empire has no fucking clue what to do, but just stand yeah, there with so his guns hanging out. I love yeah. it. Um, I wonder what he does to Demerzel because he's <sighs> got to be furious or yeah. maybe afraid. I mean, the look on his face when she bows. Yeah, it's I would be terrified the if look I were on Demerzel her face. and saw that. The yeah. look on her face. See, this is She's where I'm torn. saying like alarm bells are going off. She already has higher powers. This is this is yeah. I mean, this uh, does not good. Does totally show where her loyalty lies. Right? It is not with the Empire. It is with. Yeah, this religion and uh, Kalima's or Halima's really, really pitching it close to the plate here. Like she calls out the emperor explicitly. Like, yes. Oh, yeah. Because I caught I kind of like halfway through the speech. I'm like, I wonder because like, is she kind of giving herself cover where she could be definitely saying it, but and implying it. But but when she says even a soul that started off holy 40 years ago would not be holy today, that's a direct shot across his bow. It is, you know, it's still veiled, but the veil's so thin, you could you could pierce it with your finger. And then it's, she just keeps on like, yeah, the greatest sin against the mother is stagnation. And then you've got the call to action. This is where the insurrection part comes in, where she's like, it's this is not just uh, your life, but it's your life right now. It's your change right now. It's your duty to do this yeah, thing right now. She's calling for a religious insurrection here, right? I mean, it's yeah. You you got you got you got one life in this body. Make it count. Mm-hmm. You know, I half I half expected all of her followers to rise up and rush at the empire with knives drawn. Yeah, what <laughs> like would that it's look that like? Kind of like speech, how many right? is that? Is that is that bar- we've wondered what the limits of that barrier technology, and they've yeah. never shown it. Well, the slow like, stab. I thought the slow stab would work. The saving private Ryan lean on you with a knife would work. Yeah. Gather all around and just start like the slow step. But but I don't know what the other than that, what the limits are, um, because like I thought we were going to get an idea when they assaulted Terminus, but they got around that. So, yeah. Can you brute force the Emperor's shield? There's got to be a reason they showed us that, though, right? The slow knife. Yeah, seems like it. Um, yeah. I, I'm worried that it's going to be like Obrecht sneaking up behind Don and taking him out um, with his cloaking device because oh, they've showed us fuck. that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could be, especially since Don is he ever going to get his bracelet back? Because unless they <laughs> show guess. him getting one, like I'm going to assume he has no more divine the Imperial protection. 
Yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on his wrist from here mm. on out. See, see what or he's, if he's wearing with. a big flowery collar thing. The, the mm-hmm. sun, the sun god collar. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. This this is like the the best scene of the episode for me. I I really liked what they were doing here, and I it, it all comes down to like the emperor feeling so impotent. That's my favorite part of the episode. Uh, Zephyr Halim had that kind of like big uh, Alfre Woodard like. Uh, you know, truth to power vibes. Mm-hmm. This is really, really taking it to him in a, in a, in a, in a strong personal way. Oh yeah. There's a fire in her speech here that, you know, is, is typically reserved might burn, for might burn the whole galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. Big speeches. Uh, all right. Hugo locks his ship, uh, controls so that Salvor is the only one who can control it. So the Pharaoh can't kill her. And Salvor says she can't pilot. So she needs Hugo. So they can't kill him. Eh. Eh, this stuff all just barely works for me. It, it's well, a little tortured. Yeah, and it's like um, it felt like things that they're the show's trying to like because they're you know making super huge changes from the book and they're trying to like okay we got to still bend back to the basic arc of of this uh, derelict spaceship. So what do we do to get there? And because you know, uh, Farrah didn't want. Hardened dead, she wanted her to help her unlock the mystery of the vault. Mm-hmm. Well, she is so pissed off now that she's lost all of her ships and all of her crew that she's like, fuck this, we're just gonna kill her. Like yeah. they didn't ever say that, but I think that's what happened. You know, she went from we need her to like fuck it, just kill her, and then they have this kind of like, well, you can't kill her because the ship will and you, there's only the one ship. And the tortured part is kill. Hugo. Like, you're telling me no one here can pilot a ship that this yeah. ship, this N- none this of the ship that's from a rival tech. Yeah, because they're, they're this isn't like a ship from halfway across the galaxies. This is a ship from their neighbor. No one knows how to. Oh no! Yeah. The, 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 well, but yeah, yeah, you're right. Anyone could tell her how to fly it. I, I would think so. I don't know. They make it into a little bit of a like Millennium Falcon sort of thing, where like you know it's, you got to like bang this, on it like just right. Car, and, you gotta you gotta know how. Yes, to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so i don't know they're trying here but it doesn't quite work for me and but, said, speaking of millennium falcon it control looks. c control v on all Dude. i expected to walk around that those those padded white corridors and see chewbacca sitting there playing hollow chess yep yeah they really just took a bite out of that i I yeah, love this guy. Yeah, that's cool. Too. He's, like, he's not like a smuggler, but he is a, a cargo he runner. Is kind it's, of a yeah, like a, a yeah. somewhat ill repute. He's he's mm-hmm. definitely Han Solo, and I don't I don't mind when they just lean into that. You know, sure. Uh, it's a nice contrast to the the clean everything that is the rest of the Empire stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Farrah uses the people in Terminus as leverage to keep the engineers on task. Salvor's mom asks where her husband is, which we know, of course, he's dead. Uh, and I think she figures that out by the end of it. The engineers, the Imperial commander, Hugo and Salvor are taken aboard Hugo's ship and they launch toward their destination, which is the Antor belt. I don't, I don't know if this is a real thing. Um, I assume not, but who knows? Uh, I don't either. And uh, it's notable that Hugo's familiar with it because he's been there on mining runs. So he's been there before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. And uh, then Harden flexes on Farrah one last time with a coin trick, which amuses Farrah. Yeah. And she also she's kind of flexing with the launch of the craft, too. Right. She's never flown a ship before. 
And so the fact it that she can feel... just get coached through it first time, it felt like Don blasting bird after bird, right? Yeah. Although I felt like it was shaky. This to me felt like Lieutenant mm-hmm. Savick in Star Trek to like taking okay. the enterprise out of star like you know people were sweating yeah. about because it and it did seem like kind of shaky the ways but she yeah she got out of the atmosphere it's gonna be fun and then yeah when it showed it like careening over the the vault uh-huh. i was like she can't keep getting away with this it's the <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't they didn't that would have been hilarious if she just hovered it over there and right. ah, the field's expanded bitch <laughs> yeah yeah uh that would have been good uh, anyway that's the end of the episode it is the end of the episode, uh, but it's not the end of our coverage because we're going to come back in just a few days with the uh, foundation email feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can send that in to foundation at baldmove.com. Of course, either before or slightly after that, we'll also have our conversation with David S. Goyer, uh, showrunner for foundation. I'm excited to talk to them, uh, see how that turns out. But yeah, we want to hear from you foundation at baldmove.com. Send us that and uh, we'll talk about it on this week's feedback episode which should come out sometime tuesday and that's it we'll see you back for the next episode until then i'm aaron and i'm jim see you next week